Good morning, Cross Point Church and online guests. These are uncertain days, I guess we could say, trying, uh, difficult. I was thinking yesterday about noontime. I was thinking of a verse found in the book of Psalms, chapter 20 and verse 7, which goes like this. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so I urge you in these uncertain days to put your trust in the Lord our God. In the words of the old gospel hymn, lean on the everlasting arms in these days. I think the author of the psalm of this verse that I just read in your hearing, he's not so much saying that chariots, horses are bad things. He probably owned a horse or two, maybe a chariot even. But he's making the point that although these things may be useful, don't put your trust in them. I think the message for us today would be uh, this, this simple Yes, we should listen to our prime minister. Yes, we should listen to our premier. We should listen to uh, the word coming out from the Department of Health. We certainly should take good advice. We certainly should take precautions. And we've all heard many of those kinds of things in these days. But put your trust in the Lord our God. And then, of course, the book of Hebrews advises us, don't give up the habit of meeting together. Well, we're doing that today, and so we're coming to you online. What will next week, the coming weeks, bring? That is uncertain, uh, but stay tuned. Uh, the leadership of this church, we're doing our best to consult, get the best advice we can, and make wise decisions. So what do we do with that word from the book of Hebrews? It says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. I would suggest to you that perhaps home groups, which continue to meet during this time, perhaps even more important, maybe informal groups. We do need each other. Use your phone during these days. Use social media. Reach out to one another in these difficult, uncertain days ahead. But lean on the everlasting arms. And I want to preach a sermon to you. I thought maybe by midweek I may alter my direction, but I thought not. Uh, I would suppose uh, if I had but one sermon to preach, I would preach on this subject. I'm not saying to you this is my last, although who knows? We never know that, do we? And so I want to preach to you this morning about this amazing thing called grace. Let's speak to the Father. Father, we look to your word. This morning, Holy Spirit of God visited us. Visit us today. You are not surprised by all the events of these past days, and neither are you limited by what you can do through the work of your Holy Spirit by the fact that uh, many churches across this land are not having uh, open services. But Father, that does not limit the power of your word. And I pray to those listening today, would you speak to us, each and every one, accomplish your purpose, I pray now, as we go to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The Italian novelist Ignazio Silone 
wrote about a revolutionary hunted by the police. In order to hide him, his friends dressed him in robes of a priest and sent him to a remote village in the foothills of the Alps. But word got out that there was a priest in town, and soon a long line of peasants appeared at his door full of stories about their sins and their broken lives. The rebel in priest's clothing, I guess you could truly say he was a wolf in sheep's clothing, he protested. He tried to turn folk away, but he he didn't dare to tell them that he wasn't a priest because that would blow his cover. And so the villagers just kept coming to him, and he had no choice but to sit and listen to the stories of people that were just starving for grace. Three statements I initially want to share with you before we even get to the scripture this morning. And here's, here's the first statement. The world is starving for grace. The world is starving today for grace. When I say the name Forrest Gump, it generates, I think, in all of us a, a feeling down inside, perhaps of amusement, of warmth. As a kid, you know, if you know the story, the fictional Forrest Gump had huge issues with the requirements of grade school. He speaks in cliches handed down from his mother. Mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Well, my Forrest Gump isn't real good, I know. Forrest rescues his buddies in Vietnam. He remains faithful to his girl, Jenny, in spite of her infidelity. He stays true to himself and his little boy. And he lives as though he genuinely does not know that he's the butt of every joke. A floating on the breeze white feather opens the movie and closes it. Author Philip Yancey calls that feather a note of grace so light that no one knows where it might land. And of course the feather lands at forest feet. Now many people thought that that movie was silly and naive. But others, like Philip Yancey, saw in that it saw in pure and simple forest a note of grace that, that made them long for something to land in their life, something pure, something simple, something they know they don't deserve, but something they yearn for. Did you know the world is starving for grace? A fellow actor once caught the actor-comedian W.C. Fields in his dressing room reading a Bible. Fields was embarrassed, and he snapped the Bible shot and explained, I'm just looking for loopholes. He probably was just looking for grace. The world is starving in these days for grace. It's true. Aware of the hunger or not, they are starving for grace. But you know what? The world is starving for great grace. Here's my second grace statement. Here it is. The church has, has not always shown its grace face. We've not always shown our grace face. Author Stephen Brown notes that a veterinarian can learn a lot about a dog's owner he has never met by just observing the person's dog. Well, I don't know much about that. Not much of a dog person, I guess. 
I have no dog of my own. I like other persons, other people's dogs. But here's my question for our consideration this morning. What does the world learn about God by looking at us? Do they see grace? Do they see graciousness? Do they see gratitude? Do they see a a grateful people? Unfortunately, the image that comes to many folks' mind when they think about the church today and the people in it is that of someone who thinks they're better than me. Or they think of some somber-faced, judgmental persons. Or they think of people in the church as self-righteous do-gooders. A young woman on a bus some years ago was reading Scott Peck's New York Times bestseller. title of the book is The Road Less Traveled. Asked a neighbor on the bus, what are you reading? She replied, oh, it's a book a friend gave me. She said it changed her life. Oh, yeah? What's it about? And she responded, well, I'm not sure. It's sort of a guide to life. I haven't got very far yet. And then she began flipping through the book. And she says, well, here here are the chapter titles. Discipline, love. She flipped on. Grace. The man stopped her and said, what's grace? And she said, well, I don't know. I haven't got to grace yet. Have we? Have we got to grace yet? So the first statement is this, the world is starving for grace, but the church, second statement, but the church has not always shown its grace face. Sometimes grace is not the first thing they see when they look at us. I grew up in a pastor's home right here in this town. Marysville it was, now Marysville is part of Fredericton. And in the home I grew up in, I saw grace modeled every day. And often the church did the same. I saw grace. But in the church, in the church, there was also a strong sense of something else. I also witnessed as a child, as a teenager, and as a young man in this church an ungrace, a rigid, unattractive emphasis on rule-keeping. I'm talking about man-made rules. And sometimes a judgmental spirit if you didn't keep those rules. And I believe that many of my peers, guys, girls that I grew up with right in this town, turned away from the church. And I believe it was because they failed to see grace in there somewhere. The little... English girl's prayer says it all. Oh God, make the bad people good and make the good people nice. The world is starving for grace, my first statement. The second is we have not always shown a grace face. And here's the third statement. Grace is our best word. Grace is our best word. Years ago during a conference in Britain, on the religions of the world, experts from all over the world gathered and debated about whether there was some belief that was unique to the Christian faith. Someone in the group suggested that it was the Christian teaching that God became a man. But after some more discussion, they determined that other religions 
had some versions of God's appearing in human form. And then someone else said, well, I believe it's the, uh, the, subject, the subject of the resurrection came up, but as they discussed it, they discovered that, realized that other religions also had accounts of someone coming back from the dead. And as this discussion was going on, Christian scholar C.S. Lewis entered the room and posed the question, what's the discussion about? And his colleagues told him, we're discussing, we're discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. And Lewis responded and said, oh, that's easy. It's grace. And in a few minutes, they all agreed. The idea, the idea of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against human instinct and every other major world religion. Think about it. It goes against the, the Buddhist eightfold path. The Christian teaching of grace goes against the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish law, the Muslim code of law. Each of those religions offers a way to earn God's approval. Only Christianity dares make God's love unconditional, totally unconditional. Grace, grace, hear me, hear me today. Christianity, grace is Christianity's best gift to a starving world. It's, it's Christianity's best gift to a man who harbors guilt over some sin that he's carried around and regretted for decades. Christianity, grace is Christianity's best gift to a woman who cannot put out of her mind an abortion that took place 20 years ago. Grace is Christianity's best gift to an addict who has fallen back into the same destructive habit hundreds of times. They just need grace. And it's our word. It's our best word. It is our message. Pastor and author Gordon MacDonald says, and he's right, hear this. The world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You, do, you don't need to be a Christian to build houses. You don't need to be a Christian to feed the hungry or heal the sick. There's only one thing that the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. That's our business. Grace is, grace is our word. It's our best word. Jesus constantly lived grace, demonstrated grace, extended grace, taught about grace. One of Jesus' stories about grace made it into three different gospels. I know I'm late getting to the scripture today. Long introduction, short message. It's found in Luke chapter 14. Three gospels this story is found in. Jesus had just said these words. When you put on a dinner... Invite those who could never pay you back. So on the heels of that, here's today's scripture, Luke 14, beginning at verse 15. Hearing this, those words that Jesus just said, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. 
a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And after the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Here's another version I really like. This version appeared in the Boston Globe 30 years ago in June of 1990, and it's the story of a most unusual banquet. It goes like this. Accompanied by her fiancé, a woman went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston and ordered the meal. The two of them poured over the menu, made selections of china and silver, and pointed to pictures of flower arrangements they liked. They both had expensive taste, and the bill came to $13,000. After leaving a check for half that amount as down payment, the couple went home to flip through books of wedding announcements. The day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. I'm just not sure, he said. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this a little longer. And when his angry fiancé returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the events manager could not have been more understanding. The same thing happened to me, honey, she said, and told the story of her own broken engagement. But about the refund, she had bad news. The contract is binding. Sorry, you're only entitled to $1,300 back. You have two options. You can forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry, I really am. Well, it seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. Ten years before, you see, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter, and she had got back on her feet, found a good job, and set aside a sizable nest egg savings. Now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down-and-outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was that in June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party like it had never, ever seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom. She said and sent invitations to rescue missions and homeless shelters. And that warm summer night, people who, you, who were used to peeling 
half-nod pizza off of the cardboard dined instead in chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters and tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, and addicts took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies into the night. Grace. Grace is an astounding, awesome, unbelievable, amazing thing. And now I want to give you four, three more concluding statements about this amazing thing called grace. And here's the first. Jesus did not tell stories like this to teach us how to live, but he told them to correct our notions of what God is like. I don't know why, but somehow my young mind got it wrong. At nine years of age, I had this idea of God holding a big stick, eager to whack me a good one whenever I got out of line, which was often. And I became convinced, can you imagine, at nine years of age, that God was fed up with me and had pretty much damned me. No, no, no. And my dear father, pastor of this church from 1953 till 1970, sat me down and told me about a God that would that would walk right down the staircase into hell following someone determined to damn themselves gently tapping them on the shoulder and saying Turn around, take my hand, and I'll lead you out of here. And that's grace. That's grace. So statement number one in my concluding statements is Jesus didn't tell stories like this in order to show us how to live, but to correct our notions about what God is really like. Here's statement number two of my three concluding Grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather on what God has done for us. Do you see the difference? If the promise given to the repentant thief on the cross next to Jesus on that Good Friday teaches us anything, it teaches us that. Jesus forgave that thief an hour, maybe even minutes before that thief died, that thief would never have a chance to study a Bible, never have a chance to attend a synagogue or church, never make amends to all the wrongs that he had done. All he did was just say, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said to him today, today you will be with me in paradise. And that's grace. And that is truly amazing. You see, and here's my third concluding statement. The truth is, the truth is God welcomes anyone who will come home. Anyone who will come home. It's true. 
All through the years, I've often asked people if you were to stand before God and he should ask you why should I let you into heaven? And most times, here's the reply that I hear. Most people think that the answer to the question of what we have to do to get into heaven one day is be good. And Jesus' stories contradict that answer. All we have to do is cry, Lord, help me. Lord, save me. Any good in us is the result of grace that we've received, not a way to earn it. Mozart's composition, Requiem, contains a wonderful line. It's Mozart's prayer, and it goes like this. Remember, merciful Jesus, that I am the cause of your journey. I think he remembers. It's grace, amazing grace. And it's for you. It's for you today. Just receive. Just receive his grace. I'm speaking to some people today that you've had little or nothing to do with the church because somewhere back there in your lifetime, the church has failed to show you grace. Just receive his grace today. I'm speaking to deep people today that have been, for years you've been trying so hard to please God, to earn your way, to gain his favor. And I say to you, give it up. Just receive his grace. I'm speaking to people today, there are some who think that that the basic message of the church of Jesus Christ today is simply this, be good. It isn't. And I say to you today, just, just receive his grace. There are some perhaps hearing my voice today that, that maybe it's in your mind, oh, it's too late for me. It's too late for me. I believe in God, but he doesn't believe in me. Hear me today. Yes, he does. Just receive his grace. There's some here in this room today, you're stressed out by all that's that's going on in these troublesome days about the coronavirus, and you're, you're stressed about it, and you're wondered about the uncertainty, and you hear some of the extreme statements and you wonder are they right are they accurate hear me today just just receive his grace let me share the gospel with you one more time you see God wants to have a relationship with every one of us he freely offers us his grace but all of us there's no exceptions all of us are rebels All of us have sinned. Every one of us have separated ourselves from God. And I believe that within every one of us, there's a sense that this is true. And so we all try to do things. We all try to do things to bridge the gap between a a holy God and sinful us, but nothing works. Grace doesn't work that way. You You can't earn your way across the gap between where we are and where a holy God is. You can't. And the news gets worse. The scriptures make it clear to us that we're all under a death sentence. Uh, But here's where grace comes in, right? God offers his grace. He sent his son and built a bridge to us. And Jesus' death on that cross all that years ago builds a bridge between a holy God and sinful us. On that cross... 
He took the punishment for our sins and he canceled our death sentence. And all we need to do is receive that grace. We need to admit that we're sinners and repent of our sins, turn from our sins and trust Jesus Christ to save us. And when we do that, he pours his grace all over us and he prepares us to live forever with him. Maybe you're hearing this message today and said, Pastor John, I would like to receive that grace today. And as you're watching today, maybe you would take this opportunity this day to say, you know what? This day, March 15, 2020 is the day that I'm going to cross over. Today, I'm going to receive that grace you're talking about. I invite you to do that. And you can do that by simply praying a simple, simple prayer like this one from your heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and into my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, I pray this prayer. Amen.